So church, you can turn your attention to Psalm 112. That will be the Old Testament reading for today. Psalm 112. It says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. His offspring will be great or be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously in lens, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteousness will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horns is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So now you can turn your attentions to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. That will be the source of the sermon text for today. says here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from... um, From the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. Now in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thus far the reading of God's most holy word. May you have blessing on the preaching of it. So church, as you recall, a few months ago, we examined verses 1 through 8, in particular verses 1 through 6. Paul addressed the Philippians as those who have a true and living faith in Christ. Paul informs the reader that the Philippians are mentioned often in his prayers. And regardless of the situations they find themselves in, Paul expressed that he is confident that Christ will complete the work he started in their lives. Today we will specifically examine verses 9 through 11. In verse 9, Paul states that this is my prayer. So the prayer he is referring to is the content of his intercession found in verses 3 through 6, where he says, if, I re- if you return back to verses 3, uh, Paul says in his prayer, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And church, when we get a glimpse of the types of prayers of the apostles or from other scriptural prayers, we should take note of them. 
Learn and model our prayers after them, for we know from 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So church, we can have confidence that if we are following the examples of the prayers of the Apostle Paul, that our Father hears our prayers. We too should follow after the Apostles Paul's examples and be a people that pray not only for our church, but for the churches in this valley, in our region, country, and the world. John Calvin provides some insight into this. For it is written that all our prayers ought to bear reference to that community which our Lord has established in His kingdom and family. And that our prayers of Christians should be public and have respect to the public of edification of the church and the advancement of believers in spiritual communion. In our weekly prayer guide, there's a list of churches in our local association. Keep them in your prayers and lift them up in prayer each Lord's Day as we meet for our afternoon service and as you pray to the Lord during the week. So please draw your attention back to verse 9. Where it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul's prayer is that the Philippians' love may become richer and richer with knowledge and all discernment. As you survey the culture and observe mankind around the world and through the eras of history, the love expressed by mankind manifests, manifests itself in many different ways and modalities. Mankind has clearly expressed their love of self throughout the ages, doing what benefits their own position their own name, recognition of, over all others. Mankind has often shown their love for money, possessions, and earthly materials that bring them security and comforts. Mankind has shown their love for pleasure and temporary feelings of comfort and satisfaction. But it is also true that man- mankind has also shown selfless acts of love to protect, to provide, and care for those that are in, in, around them. I think it is important for us us to ask the question, what is love? In the English language, love typically is defined as a strong affection for another arising out of a kinship or personal ties, warm attachment, enthusiasm, or devotion. The object of attachment, devotion, or admiration, or unselfish, loyal, and benefit concern for the good of another. In all these definitions, love is a response to the knowledge and understanding one has of another person or thing. In order for one to express or show love, they must have understanding. Therefore, statements like, we all, all we need is love, or love is love, is such foolishness because it lacks the knowledge, discernment, or understanding on why or what we are putting our love towards. This is why Paul in his prayer for the Philippians doesn't just pray for the Philippians to love or for their love to increase in isolation, but rather for it to increase in connection with knowledge and discernment. So look back at verse 9. It says, Paul prays that the Philippians may abound, uh, that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Peter O'Brien in his commentary on the Philippians states that Paul's praise that the love of the Philippians might overflow with the dominion of knowledge and all insights or discernment. Calvin put it this way, For the true attainments of Christians are when they make progress in knowledge and understanding and afterwards in love, so that your love may increase according to the measure of knowledge. So without knowledge and understanding... 
It is impossible to show and express our proper love towards God and towards one another. But before we examine the type of knowledge and discernment that Paul has in mind, I would, I would like for us to look a little bit more at the type of love that Paul has in mind for the prayers, um, for his prayer for the Philippians. According to O'Brien, normally the apostle used the uh, word love in regards to the love towards one's neighbor, as Paul speaks only rarely of love for God. But the, love, uh, but, the lo- but the word love here, to be understood in the most comprehensive way, restricted neither to love for God nor for love for uh, fellow humans, obviously includes brotherly love and prepares the way for the later words of correction we find in the letter to the Philippians. But it should not be limited to this. The apostle did not say that the Philippians lacked this love. His earnest desire was that it would be increased to an overflowing suggesting that it was already present in their lives, even in some measure. The strongest reason for taking this uh, love in a comprehensive sense comes from the context itself. The apostles' request here, love has no object. It would seem that if the Philippians passage, Paul was less interested in the object of the love rather than its source. Its treatment here deals with love's influence in the intellectual and moral sphere. So the love that Paul has in mind for the Philippians and for you and I to increase in in both the love for God and the love for our neighbor. Our love for God and love for neighbor comes from and manifests itself from our knowledge and acting upon that knowledge. So where do we gain this knowledge and discernment that manifests itself in the love that Paul is praying for? Because of our fallen condition, our love for God and for one another comes from knowing God. The only source of knowledge that will bring about the love that Paul is praying for comes from God. And all other knowledge will eventually lead to empty and self-absorbed love. For one to to have proper knowledge with godly love, they must first know Christ. For us to know Christ, we must be found in Him. We must have a correct and proper saving knowledge of the work of Christ. If you recall in the previous sermon a few months ago, we examined Paul's introduction to this letter and he established that the Philippians are found in Christ. So in order for us to be found in Christ, we must be in a relationship with him. We have to be accepted by him. We have to be in a good standing with the Heavenly Father. We have to hear and believe upon the gospel message. So kids, this is what I was referring to in our catechism question a few minutes ago. So in order for us to be in Christ, we must be recognized that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. And as a result of the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we are dead spiritually. We are enemies of God, destined for eternal damnation, and are not in Christ. But God, in His mercy and grace, has provided a free gift to His people that is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has chosen out of His grace and mercy to send the Son of God and take away the sins of His people by dying on the cross and living a perfect life and imputing His righteousness to each and every one of His people. So how do you receive that gift of God? Of uh, gift. <clears throat> so how do you receive that gift of God? And find yourself in Christ. Scripture tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
It is the act of God and God alone that has decided to bring about salvation for his people. So how do you find yourself in Christ? You confess, repent, and believe upon Jesus Christ and the work of salvation that he has done for you. For those that place their faith in Christ are no longer enemies of God, but accepted as children of God and are securely found in him, in Christ, and then enabled to manifest the love that Paul is praying for in this passage. Paul in Romans 5 states, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one scarcely died for a righteous person, through per, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. More than that, we are also rejoiced in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the Philippians obviously know Christ intimately. Paul has addressed them as saints in Christ Jesus. So most certainly Paul does not have in mind in his prayer for them that their knowledge and discernment, which is manifest in love, is limited or stops at knowing Christ for salvation. It is essential that we have knowledge of what Christ has done for us, for the church, because it is the doorway in which we are accepted by the Father, but must be the beginning and not the end of our knowledge of God and the Christian life. O'Brien states that the term knowledge turns up some 15 times in Paul's letter and is limited to religious or moral things, conscience of sin, knowledge of God, and of Christ. Knowledge was one of the things that the apostle prayed for since it appears in his intercessory prayers at the conclusion of his introductory Thanksgiving paragraphs of the four captivity epistles. So you find the same theme in Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and of course here in Philippians. The term does not turn up in a prayer request outside these four letters. So the scope of this knowledge that Paul speaks of consists of the conversion of the Christian faith, uh, to the Christian faith and with the Christian knowledge carries with it the corresponding manner of life. Our knowledge of God must first start with faith and knowledge of salvation offered by Christ, but it must continue to incorporate how we are to walk to daily obedience and love to God and our neighbor. Paul's prayer for the Philippians is that their love may abound more and more not, uh, with not only knowledge but also with discernment. Not only are the Philippians to increase in their comprehensive sense of knowing God through Christ in an intimate way, but also in their wisdom through insight and experience. This discretion is described in passages like Proverbs 5.2, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Or Proverbs 14.7, leave the presence of a fool, for there do not uh, meet words of knowledge. 
or Proverbs 15, 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. O'Brien informs us that the discernment that Paul is praying here might be translated uh, as tact, or the feeling for the actual situation at the time, since it is the capacity for practical, concrete knowledge. This points to insights for all kinds of situations as they arise. Paul's prayer, then, was not that some fresh element such as knowledge and insight might be introduced into their love as though these things were two separate ingredients that were lacking or deficient. Rather, the content of the petition was that the love of God within the readers might increase beyond all measure. And that as it is increased, it might penetrate more deeply into the personal relations with God through Christ as well as into all types of situations involving practical conduct. Paul's prayer for the Philippians was not that they would just have a presence of love, knowledge, or discernment, but rather that it would be abundant more and more. Paul is asking God that the Philippians would continue more and more like, to become more and more like Christ. Paul is praying that the Philippians would grow in their sanctification. Our confession, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 13 on sanctification, teaches us that there are they who are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the virtues of Christ's death and resurrection, are also farther sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue by His Word and Spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts of it are and more and more weakened and mortified. And they are more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces, to the practice of all true Holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect, imperfect in this life. There abide still some remnants of corruption in every part, wherefrom arise a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, Yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. And so the saint grows in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, pressing after an heavenly life in evangelical obedience to all the commands which Christ as head and king in his word has prescribed to them. So Paul's prayer is that God would continue to sanctify uh, continue his sanctifying work in the lives of the Philippians, making them more and more like Christ. The mark of the sanctification is to is the increased love that the Philippians will have for God and for one another, one another, overflowing from and out of their knowledge and discernment of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, church, because of our fallen condition, our love for God and for one another comes from our correct and proper knowledge of God. So how are we to know God? How are, we, how are we to grow in our knowledge, discernment, tact, and wisdom? We are to grow in these areas through the ordinary means of grace that God has provided His people. We are to be diligent to observe the weekly Sabbath. We are to guard this day like no other day. We are to gather on the Lord's day and know God through the reading and preaching of His most holy word. We are to hear God's words preached and strive to apply um, strive to apply and work it out within our daily lives. 
We are to know God through the observance of the Lord's Supper and to trust in faith that the Spirit uses it to nourish our soul. We are to know God, we are to know our Lord through the public and private prayers to God, the Father through Jesus Christ. We are to do this by keeping our hearts soft towards God, by confessing our sins to the Father, by forgiving those who have sinned against us. We are to do this by seeking advice, wisdom, correction, and rebuke from our brothers and sisters in Christ who care for our souls. Furthermore, we are to show that we know God through the life we live, the discernment and wisdom we display. We are to ask God to give us wisdom in this life. James tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given uh, to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. As James puts it, we are to show that we have knowledge by the way we live our lives. James tells us that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So Paul's prayer for the Philippians is that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Out of their knowledge and discernment, their love for God and for one another will become richer and richer. In verse 10, Paul explains why he is asking God for their love to abound more and more. Paul's prayer is that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So look at verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and be, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The purpose of this love, increasing knowledge and tact, was so that they might be able to distinguish the really important issues in their lives and to act on the basis of such distinction. Paul go, uh, Paul's goal for them was that they might be fully prepared for the second coming as those who are both pure and blameless. Paul's prayer is for the Christian to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God so that their love may be enriched, so that they may choose what is vital in this life for godliness and ultimately the final judgment. Church, there are many good things in this life, but not all good things are excellent or vital to the Christian living and leading to eternal life. Calvin states in this verse that we have a definition of Christian wisdom to know what advantage or is expedient not to torture the mind with empty subtleties and speculations. For the Lord does not wish that his believing people should employ themselves fruitlessly in learning what is of no profit. We live in a world with access with so much information that we can easily waste away our days, months, and years filling our minds with useless and possibly false information that is of no profit to our lives as Christians. It must be our prayer for us to individually and corporately um, that we ask God for wisdom to discern and approve what is excellent and profitable for us in this life and for the life to come. This concept of approving what is excellent that Paul is praying for has the meaning of putting to test or to examine. This is the same type of examination that is urged prior to taking the Lord's Supper. Let a person examine himself, 
then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul urges the Corinthians to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Paul to the Ephesians says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So this concept of approving or testing what is excellent is not a foreign concept. Paul's prayer for Christians is that they grow in their love for God and for one another. They will increase in their ability to not only identify what is excellent and profitable, but also choose the things that are vital to the Christian living. O'Brien mentions that the phrase, so that you may approve what is excellent, can also be understood against the religious background of Judaism. The Jew was to choose what was essential on the basis of the law. Apparently, for Paul's opponents, the norm for choosing what was excellent was found either in the the attainable standards of the law or the behavior, behavior that does not arise above earthly things. But the Philippians who were in Christ were to make such choices of what was vital on the basis of an ever-increasing love, a love that penetrated more deeply into the knowledge of God and the treasure of Christ, and imparted to the Christian a keener and more delicate moral sense for specific situations. Paul himself had learned the secret of judging what was vital. As he indicates later in the letter to the Philippians, I regard everything as loss for the sake of the incomparable value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have willingly sustained the loss of all things. But with one thing I do, I run straight towards the goal in order to win the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul's prayer for the Philippians that they may too judge what is excellent as he is able to approve what is excellent. Paul elaborates more on his prayer by exhorting the Philippians so that their attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Church, because of our fallen condition, We must be active in approving what is excellent. We must be guided by the Word of God. We must be diligent to keep the Lord's day. Hear the Word of God preached. Apply it to our lives each and every week. And be diligent in asking God to give us wisdom to make the right choices in seeking after the most excellent things in our daily lives that not only benefit us here on earth, but more importantly, for everlasting life. Please draw your attention to the second part of verse 10, where we see that not only does our love with knowledge and discernment provide us with the ability to approve what is excellent, but it is also the means by which God prepares us for the second coming of Christ. Paul prays that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As you survey the Apostle Paul's letters, you will find a common theme in Paul petitioning his churches to be ready for the second coming of Christ, being ready for the day of judgment. 1 Corinthians 1, 7-8, so that you are not lacking in any gift, in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.13, so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Again, in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 11 through 12 it says, To this end we also pray for you, 
that our God will make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a Christian's love increases, enabling one to choose what is vital, so we would be ready for the day of Christ. The aim of Paul's prayer was that the Philippians would not only reach the final day, but they might also be pleasing to God at the great judgment day. Hear what our confession in chapter 32 has to say about the final judgment. God has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but also likewise all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before uh, the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what, ha- what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. The end of God appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of His mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect, and of His justice in the eternal damnation of the retrobate, who are wicked and disobedient, and then shall the righteous go into the everlasting life, receiving that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards. In the presence of the Lord, but the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So how are we to prepare for this final judgment? How are we to be pure and blameless as Paul prays for the Philippians? We are able to be pure and blameless before God. It's rather a question. Are we able to be pure and blameless before God on our own doing? And the answer is, of course not. Catechism 87, as we just mentioned earlier, is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? Answer, no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but does daily break them in thought, word, and deed. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Therefore, we know that our obedience to God is not what enables us to be considered pure and blameless before God. But at the same time, complete disobedience, lawlessness, and no signs of repentance cannot and will not lead one to being considered pure and blameless before God. The one who has love for God will seek to obey Him. The one who has love for God will repent from their sins. Seek God's grace and mercy in this life. Attend to the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of the word, the ordinance of baptism, Lord's Supper, prayer, and will seek to grow in their active obedience to the Father. The Christ has imputed to his believers his righteousness to the law of God because we could not keep it perfectly. The Christ has sanctified, uh, or satisfied the wrath and curse of God on the cross and has taken away the sins of his believers. We are justified, pure, and blameless before God if we have faith in Christ, but we are exhorted by Paul to make sure of this calling, make sure of the faith we have in Christ by living a holy life after God. Paul keeps in mind of the, uh, the mind of the believers Christ's second coming and final judgment, not as if one can be scared in obeying Christ and following after Him, but rather an encouragement to continue running the race, fighting the good fight for something better to come. Our confession that in chapter 32 follows paragraph 3 has this to say about this concept. As Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment 
both to deter all men from sin and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity. So we will have the day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security and be watchfully because they know not what hour the Lord will come and may ever be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Therefore, let, us be, uh, let it be that your love for God and one another abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11 says this. We, um, in verse 11, we see that Paul prays that the Philippians will be uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Calvin tells us that <clears throat> this now belongs to the outward life, for good conscience produces its fruit by means of work. Hence, Paul desires that the Philippians may be fruitful in good works for the glory of God. Such, fr- such fruits, Paul says, are by Christ because they flow from the grace of Christ. Our confession says that these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively fl- uh, faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus, thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they have may have the end eternal life. Again, Calvin says, Paul speaking here of works under the term righteousness is not at all inconsistent with the gracious righteousness of faith. For it does not immediately follow that there is righteousness wherever there are fruits of righteousness, inasmuch there is no righteousness in the sight of God, unless there be full and complete obedience to the law, which is not found in any one of the saints. Though nonetheless they bring forth according to their measure the good and pleasant fruits of righteousness, righteousness, and for this reason, that as God begins righteousness in us through the regeneration of the Spirit, so that we... So what is wanting is amply supplied through the remissions of sins in such a way that all righteousness nevertheless depends upon faith. It is our faith in Christ. It is our love for God based on the knowledge that He's given that us ultimately brings us the fruits of righteousness Paul is praying for in, this, in the lives of the Philippians. Ultimately, the fullness of the righteousness imputed to us from Christ Jesus will be realized at the final judgment when we will be declared innocent and given life everlasting. Because of the graciousness and merciful work of Christ in the life of the believers, it is only proper that Paul concludes his prayer, verse 11, with the glory and praise of God. Question 1 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So church, how are we to glorify God and enjoy Him in this life? It is found in Paul's prayer to the Philippians. We are to grow in our love for God and neighbor from the outworking of our increased knowledge and discernment. We are to seek after and dedicate our focus to those things that are excellent and beneficial to our faith. We are to prepare ourselves for the second coming of the Lord, seeking after Christ for His righteousness, and to faithfully depend upon Him for all things. And as we conclude, I'd like to just recap uh, Paul's prayer. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let us pray. Father, in your mercy and grace, we ask that you would guide, direct, and increase the love of the people of Emmaus for not only you, but for one another. Lord, help us to be diligent to increase our knowledge of of you and your word. Give us tact and wisdom to increase our love. We thank you, the Son of God, for imputing your righteousness to us and taking away our sins through faith. Help us to keep your law and actively obey your word more and more each day. All the glory, honor, and praise goes to you, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.